You're listening to Glowing Older, the podcast that goes deep with the iconoclasts shaping senior living. Thank you to our season one sponsor, Body Bliss, Intentional Aromatherapy, your partner in wellness. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on innovation in senior living. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm pleased to be here today with Robert Morrison, co-author of the newly, newly released What Retirees Want, A Holistic View of Life's Third Age. The book presents the culmination of decades of research by Robert and world-famous age wave expert Ken Dykwald, PhD. Bob has been collaborating with Ken for more than 20 years on a series of studies about life and retirement. Bob is senior advisor with AgeWave and lead faculty for the International Institute for Analytics. He is a business researcher, writer, speaker, consultant, and authority on the intersection of business, technology, and people management. He has spent much of his career as leader of research and executive programs in influential management consulting firms, working with hundreds of major organizations across industries. So honored to have you. Welcome to the program, Bob. Thank you so much. That was quite a glowing uh, introduction. I appreciate it. Well, this book is so important to the senior living industry and, and seriously anyone who wants to become involved selling uh, any kind of product or service to uh, older adults. So can you please provide us of an overview of the book? Sure. I'd be, I'd be happy to give you and your listeners a quick tour. Uh, what Retirees Want starts with uh, kind of three chapters setting up the, the landscape. Uh, the first is about how retirement is being transformed, even as we speak, uh, through the influx of the oversized baby boom generation. Roughly half of the boomers are retired. They're retiring at the rate of about 10,000 a day. And so the practice we call retirement is being transformed three ways. One is demographically, given the sheer numbers of the baby boomers. Put that together with increasing life expectancy. And more people are spending more years in retirement, and that makes retirement a more important phase of life. Uh, the second chapter is about the enemy we call ageism, uh, which you know you still see it overtly, still see ads uh, making fun of older people or stereotyping them in ways that uh, turn them off. Uh, but there's probably a lot more kind of age, ageism by omission, where businesses are chasing the youth market when in fact uh, where the money and the growing demand is is among older Americans. So there's a real danger of missing what we call the biggest market hiding in plain sight. And the third chapter is on uh, the antidote to ageism, which is reframing our attitudes and practices around aging to recognize it as the uh, very exciting and fulfilling stage of life it should be. And then what we'll be talking about today, the heart of the book is seven chapters on what retirees want in different phases of their lives or facets of their lives. Uh, they are work, leisure, health, family, home and community, finances, and purpose and giving. And then a brief concluding chapter kind of ties things together, looks ahead a bit, and concludes that the word retirement as conceived today is too small a word for what's going on and what the future holds. And that's why we refer to it now as the third age of life. Just a couple of other things to understand about the book. One, it has two audiences. Uh, it started out, and it still is, primarily a business book addressed to organizations that want to understand retirees better in order to serve them better. 
But along the way, we put together what turns out to be a very valuable compendium of the options, opportunities, and challenges that retirees face. And so the book is, we're very thankful, turning out to be uh, popular with retirees, pre-retirees, and hope to be retirees. And the other point that I should make today some context is that obviously some chapters of the book are of great interest to individual sectors, such as home or the senior living sector. But we recommend that business people read all the chapters because you can get creative ideas from adjoining chapters, adjoining facets of life. And also because no matter what product or service you wanna to provide to retirees, it helps to understand what else is going on in their lives, to understand them more holistically. And I, I'm sure that's the case. It's certainly the case in financial services. I'm sure that's the case in senior living these days. So true. And I feel like this book will be an absolute Bible for the senior living industry. I was in graduate school at Cornell Hotel School 25 years ago at the birth of the spa industry, which has been my industry for the past 25 years. And had we had this kind of data on the spa goer, if you will, uh, it, it would have been so much easier to navigate. This is, it's like a, a wealth of information on the, the demographics, the psychographics and, and drilling down. So when we had a conversation last week, uh, you really identified some touch points in the book that you thought were specific to the senior living industry. And the first of those was work. So putting wisdom to work. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, work, well, it's one of my favorites because uh, when uh, Ken Dykwald and I first started collaborating almost two decades ago, it was on a couple of uh, uh, research initiatives sponsored by consortiums of major companies about the growing trend of people working in retirement. Uh, in the time since, work in retirement has become what we call the new normal. Uh, seven in 10 working boomers say they're planning to work in retirement, they are working in retirement, or they've already worked in retirement and then finally stopped working. The um, labor force participation rate of Americans age 65 and older is at 20% and rising, and it hasn't been that high since the 1950s. And that makes the 65 and olders uh, the fastest growing segment of the workforce. Now, that is good. It's good kind of all around. It's good for businesses and the economy because of all the things that uh, older workers bring to the table. Not just experience, maybe a certain amount of wisdom, but uh, social awareness, emotional intelligence. They're better at solving certain kinds of problems, especially those that require looking at the forest and the trees. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of employers don't quite get this yet, but I think they're learning fast because they have, um, they face labor and skill shortages as so many baby boomers retire, but having, baby boomers hang around a little bit longer, working retirement can at least mitigate some of those effects. That's the employer side. Working retirement is also very good for the retiree. You know, the money is essential for many. Uh, it's a convenience for all. But when we ask people, we ask working retirees why they're working in retirement, uh, the number one reason is always to stay mentally active, keep their mind sharp. In second place is usually staying physically active, staying busy, avoiding boredom. And usually roughly tied for third place is the money to supplement the income or top off the retirement nest egg and the social connections, the interactions 
in the uh, in the workplace. When we ask people who are, I guess you call them fully retired, what they most miss about work, they don't say the paycheck. They say what they most miss is these social interactions. So that certainly is an implication for senior living is the, the social side of it. Absolutely. Uh, one question we ask, uh, we've asked, I think every time we've uh, surveyed working retirees, we give them a, for, a forced choice. Uh, are you working primarily because you want to or because you have to? And in good economic times and bad, uh, the significant majority say they're actually working because they want to. They're working more on their own terms Work is compared to pre-retirement pre work. Uh, the work they're doing now is more flexible and fun. It's less boring. It's less stressful. Uh, they enjoy it. A little bit about the patterns of work in retirement. People tend to work roughly half-time. Uh, some prefer to work regular part-time. Others prefer to cycle in and out of work. For example, working seasonally or working on a project basis. The majority keep doing something related to what they did in their primary careers, but about 40% want to do something entirely different. And uh, older retirees tend to be self-employed. So put all that information together and so I've got some questions uh, for senior living organizations and facilities. Do you know how many of your residents are in fact working, especially those who are working self-employed or working from home? And what can you do to facilitate that? Nancy, what's your sense of whether senior living is tuned into this or not? I, you know, I don't think they are very tuned in because it's been such a, a model of uh, health care versus people care. Uh, I think it's right. really, they've been primarily focused on, on your blood pressure and <laughs> have you taken a fall and those kind of things. Yeah. But when it comes into drilling into people's lives, I, I don't think that they're there yet. It's not, not all the other things going on. I have a few ideas. I mean, a lot of, uh, well, I should say, full disclosure, my direct, most direct experience with senior living is through the fact that my father has been uh, living very successfully and happily in a CCRC for going on 13 years, I believe it is. And until two years ago, completely independently living, he's 93. Uh, but then he took the proverbial fall, broke his hip, and is now in his um, assisted living apartment. But uh, he's of course under lockdown right now, but it's been very successful for him. But um, I'm less familiar with other formats. But then again, CCRCs are trying to be a fairly all-encompassing format. So yes. uh, they, they have, for example, for hobbyists, you got workshops. Well, if your hobbies work, how about some uh, shared or you know, rent at a reasonable rate on-demand office space for people who are working from home in retirement. Uh, how about vetted uh, office or business services might help them even in setting up a business or bookkeeping or things like that. I wonder if uh, how often uh, residents would want to work for one another. Maybe things as simple as a job posting. Uh, I think if I were living in my father's facility and still working, I'd want to... Uh, be part of a club or a coffee group that gets together a couple of times a month to trade notes about what it's like, what challenges we face, um, how it's working for us, working in retirement. Those are great then, ideas, yeah. One, one more, actually, just occurred to me this morning. Um, how often do facilities hire their residents to do specialized things part-time? 
or does, does that possibly get awkward? I don't know. Uh, my grandma used to work in the gift shop. I think it honestly that it was okay. a volunteer type of a thing. I don't think she got a paycheck. <laughs> Older Americans uh, are doing amazing things. Uh, uh, we found a kind of a disproportionate number of people uh, becoming personal trainers because uh, they can relate much better to the older people who need uh, a new health regimen. Well, that's a great uh, segue into uh, the, the next topic that we wanted to drill down on and this idea of health and how uh, I, I was stricken by how much uh, the baby boomers are, are becoming vet, better versions of themselves. And part of that is taking control of their own health rather than assuming their doctor is going to have the best for them in every situation. So talk to me a little bit about the, the chapter searching for the fountain of youth. The fountain of health. <laughs> oh, fountain of health. So, yes. We, we actually, there's, there's a whole lot in this chapter, maybe the longest chapter in the book. Uh, we talk about, uh, you know, the reality that uh, one's health is really the biggest wild card in retirement. Uh, it's not just a physical wild card, it's a financial wild card because of the way that health problems can, uh, can drain finances. And of course, we uh, spend some time talking about people's special concern, and it's warranted concern these days about brain health, especially the prevalence of Alzheimer's and the lack of a cure. We might argue uh, the lack of sufficient uh, research at this point. Uh, the way we see it, the, the big problem here is that lifespan continues to, uh, longevity continues to increase, albeit slowly these days. But the difference between lifespan and what they call health span, which is the number of years you spend in reasonably good health uh, before your ability to do everything you want is compromised to some degree. The difference between lifespan and health span averages 10 years in the United States. So a lot of people need quite a bit of assistance, it may just be household assistance, maybe medical assistance, but they need it for quite a long time. And I think one of our big challenges as a society is to kind of close the gap between health span and lifespan. And that has to do with uh, exercise, nutrition, medical advances, all, all of those things. Uh, we also take a look at uh, longevity medicine, longevity practices, including uh, earlier, I think, uh, Nancy, we were talking about the blue zones. Yes. Five places around the world that have been uh, uh, widely studied because they have a disproportionate number of centenarians, people over 100 years old. Uh, and it turns out there's a, maybe a predictable, but a fairly complex formula for how they do it. Uh, they tend to work in occupations that keep them moving, uh, maybe working out of doors. They tend to eat healthy, drink in moderation. Uh, they have a strong sense of purpose that all often comes from their, uh, their communities. And um, it's an interesting question of whether this can be uh, transferred. There's a, there's an, there's a Blue Zone organization that works with communities. I don't know that they work with senior living facilities. They might uh, see it as an opportunity, but they need a, a fairly large population to, yes. uh, to measure their results. One place uh, in Minnesota, they've been working for quite a while. They've seen, they've been working long enough to see results, but most of the results are attributed to the single factor of encouraging people to stop smoking, which you don't need a full Blue Zone program in order to do. So it's, it's an intriguing, you know, I recommend people look, read the, uh, the short section on Blue Zones because it is a formula for greater longevity. 
but I think it's practices that can be, I guess you'd say imitated, but not directly implemented. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about the blue zones is you don't try to be healthy. It's by design. Mm -hmm. It's part of your everyday life. And so I think that's why blue zones has been working with whole communities so that they can really make a difference at every step of the process, making walking paths and that sort of thing to, to mm -hmm. So if you want to, if you want to hedge your bets, you do all the things that uh, amount to healthy living and you pay attention to what's having happening in longevity me medicine in case there's a breakthrough. So yeah. <laughs> An aside, just one aside on the blue zones. Uh, when our book came out and the, uh, the initial bunch of pre-orders hit, we jumped to number one new release in Amazon's subcategory of longevity. But being the number one new release did not make us number one overall because number one overall has long been a Blue Zones cookbook. Oh. So you get plenty, plenty of advice on how to do things right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, in, in talking about the Blue Zones, I'd like to spend the last um, minutes that we have uh, talking directly about home and community. And what was striking to me reading your book, and it came up again and again, was how much people, especially the boomers generation, loves their homes and how there's trends towards staying at home and products and services, delivering home services. How, how does that affect the senior living industry? Uh, that's, that's a big question. I'm sure your, your listeners are, have given it more thought than I have. What, one of the things, I mean, Ahead. One of the things that the COVID pandemic is uh, disrupting, I think, is uh, people's understanding of the pros and cons of where they live. You know, certainly all types of senior living facilities are now being judged on how well they weathered the storm. And of course, skilled nursing facilities have uh, you know, seen a tragic uh, rates of infection and loss of life and are, I'm sure, actively trying to decide how to revamp their facilities, their layouts, their operations. When it comes to living at home, um, are people learning that that's a better option because they're more isolated? Or is it a not so good option uh, because of the danger of being isolated and have difficulty maintaining their homes, uh, getting services to come in and uh, do things they need help with? I think, the, I think we're in for a reset, but there are opportunities for senior living to maybe adjust the value proposition vis-a-vis uh, -vis having people age in place at home. Aging in place is, of course, their, everyone's stated preference, even as they get older and need long-term care. And for a lot of older people, it's not a realistic preference. So maybe there are ways to kind of rewrite the equation or the value proposition. Yeah, I, I guess if we had the answers to all those uh, questions that we'd we'd have a really good uh, opportunity to be a consultant <laughs> for them, uh, let me, to tell them. Back, backing up from the, the, current, the current crisis, let me tell you a few things that uh, we learned in the home chapter that may be a little bit surprising and the industry should uh, take cognizance of. You know, one of the real freedoms of uh, come with retirement is the freedom of location and lifestyle. Uh, the majority say they want to stay home, but uh, some 3 million Americans over the age of 60 move each year. And um, many of them move twice. First to someplace that they find really desirable, 
uh, for location or lifestyle or close to family, and the second to the place where they can best receive uh, support and care they need in their later years. Um, for the first move, though, uh, here are some surprises. Uh, I'd always assume that, I, I hope to someday, that uh, when people move in retirement, uh, they downsize, they declutter, they simplify their lives. Uh, we found that 30% of those who've moved in retirement have upsized their homes to have more space, yeah. more opportunity to entertain uh, family gatherings, maybe have older parents move in. The second is that there's net migration of older Americans out of large cities, but there's also a noticeable reverse migration. I believe uh, Del Webb is now developing kind of medium-sized properties in urban locations. Again, the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic may be changing minds about the advisability of living in really densely populated areas, but cities have so much to offer in terms of social and cultural activities that I think a lot of boomers may be attracted back to the cities from the suburbs where they went to raise their families. And the other thing learned in the research, fairly recent research, is that two-thirds of boomers actually prefer to live in places with age and generational diversity. So for active living communities, that raises the question of how do you um, make the places, their, their style, uh, more multi-generational, even if there is an age limit for you know, moving in a facility in the first place. You see anything happening there, Nancy? Absolutely. And multi-generational facilities. Well, firstly, you talked about some really exciting ones in your book. Uh, I thought that the ones in Europe that were um, working with the college and then Mirabella at the Arizona State University campus, uh, Wellpoint Community in Alabama I, I, is going to have a multi-generational kind of we work we work station. Of course, you don't want to say we work, but uh, <laughs> but those kind of things. So I, I think it's a huge trend, and I think it benefits both sides of the equation. Oh, it does. I mean, one of the one of the things that uh, gives older Americans purpose is well, the number one source of purpose in their lives. They tell us is by uh, their relationships with their family. Another important one is uh, being able to give back. But uh, an offshoot of maybe both of those is the opportunity to mentor, to pass down knowledge, experience, judgment to the younger generations. So the extent to which facilities can uh, make that happen, uh, introduce residents to opportunities for volunteering, for mentoring. Uh, yes. I think that uh, the... International Council, Council on Active Aging just did mm -hmm. their ma their magazine just did oh, you know you're aware of Colin um, mm -hmm. the, the, so oh, he nice. uh, exactly Milner he just did a um, series on giving back and and all the the things that the different communities are doing it's a major major trend and uh, it, it's part of you know the mind body spirit thing mm -hmm. the spirit part in senior living is really giving back. And purpose. That's what you're seeing as a, that's their, their idea. There are good examples of uh, active aging communities that are still age restricted, though, having uh, hosting community events, doing things with community organizations, doing things with local schools, 
Uh, my father's CCRC is actually located not far from Arizona State University where the Mirabella facility is. One of the things they have, this is, I'm, I'm sure this type of thing is common, but they're, uh, the fine arts graduate students come and uh, practice uh, in the lobby of the CCRC playing the piano, bringing their quartets to that's, that's brilliant. Uh, engage that's in, brilliant. in the residence. So there are, I think there are, if we look around, there are intergenerational and exciting and engaging things that uh, we can be doing all the time. Exactly. And we want the next generation of senior living to be a whole new way for uh, us to age because we're getting there, both of <laughs> us, right? Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been so informative and everyone out there in the senior living world, please buy this book and read it immediately. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast.